Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to the happy hour edition of the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. And uh, boy, don't we need it. We need a happy hour, don't we, on this gloomy winter day here in the best little city in America. Weekend's looking good, though. It's looking better. Things are going to be okay. Uber producer Dan Peters is off today, so I will soldier on by myself, going solo today. I will uh, guide you through a couple hours here of conversation on news and politics, education, recreation, outdoors, science. I appreciate you spending some of your time with us today. I really do. Whether you're listening on the car radio, sitting in front of a computer somewhere at work with the headphones on, or streaming through your Alexa, which you can do now. That's pretty cool. If you've got the Alexa, you can get KSOO on there. Just say, Alexa, play KSOO, and then it'll do it. So that's pretty cool. Uh, also, don't forget to download your fancy new KSOO mobile app. You can search for that on the App Store or on the Android platform. It's a great way to listen to the Patrick Lally Show, the Main Street Cafe with Chad and Beth in the morning, and get the latest news and weather updates. There's a cool notifications thing on there. Anyway, nice new app. Go get it. It's going to be a great weekend in Sioux Falls and the surrounding area. Of course, the big SDSU football game up in Brookings might be a little chilly up there, but you're hardy people. You can handle it. A full weekend of entertainment. I'm riding in the Riddlebox Ultra Bike and Running Race tomorrow, starting from Calico Skies Winery near Canton. We'll see how that goes. I, I, I still have trepidation. It's not, it's not that far. It's like 25 miles or something, but, you know... It's just you got to get you got to get yourself up for these things, and it's going to be a little chilly. Twenties, that's not bad. It'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. Looks like it's going to be a nice weekend for getting outside, though. I hope you can do that even for a bit, even with this light snowfall we had. I bet the Spellerberg sledding hill will be packed. It doesn't take much to make that a good time. You know, when I was a kid back in the old neighborhood, back in the North End, we used to sled. We used to go sliding. Used the tube. Break out the old tubes and pieces of plastic and such at uh, Terrace Park. I always remember, though, there was this huge, very prominent sign for many years, nail, just nailed up real high on this big old elm tree that said, Sledding prohibited by order of the Sioux Falls Parks and Recreation Department. No sledding at Terrace Park. Uh, nobody ever paid any attention to that. Uh, right over there by the band shell. Uh, you know, sure, it was kind of dangerous. Because it would get a little slick, and you'd shoot down there, and you might hit the band shell. You might hit a tree. You might hit a uh, light post. You might go over the edge and slide down into the Japanese. All these things were possible, but nobody paid any attention to the sign. And it was never enforced. Not like anybody from the park department ever came around and said, Hey, put away them tubes, boys. Get you on home. Sign was there for many, many years, as I said, until uh, there used to be a lot more trees up there, too. And the Dutch elm disease came through, wiped them all out, wiped out all the trees in the neighborhood, practically, except for the ash trees that were still there and the pine trees. But all those old elm trees were gone, and with it went the sign. And the sign never came back. So I don't know if that was by uh, ordinance or just practice or if you can just you know, go sledding with impunity at Terrace Park, but it's a good place to go if you want to uh, have some have some fun. I, I have some stories about 
the old Slednet Terrace Park that I can, uh, I'll tell you all about at some point. But uh, for today, just uh, have a good weekend out there and, uh, you know, get out, go for a walk, anything, breathe deep. It's lovely. We've got a great show for you today. Our guests include Sioux Falls mayoral candidate Greg Jamison, who will be with us in the second hour, and we will hit all the hot topics there. The Buffalo Maiden will check in from the Black Hills Bureau for the Weird Friends segment after her critically acclaimed trip to the East River Mothership studio here at KSOO. You remember the Buffalo Maiden was my co-host for the first hour on Friday last week. That was awesome. Thea Miller-Ryan will be in after that, about 345. She's director of the Outdoor Campus, and she makes a weekly visit here on Fridays. We'll talk about ice safety and ice fishing with a with Todd St. Sawyer Sauver. Sauver. He is a regional fisheries manager for Game Fishing Parks. We're going to talk about ice. Ice. Can you go out on it? I wouldn't right now. I wouldn't. It hadn't been that cold. And I'll have the PL statement just after the break. Today's topic, um, we're going to talk a little bit about school buildings and whether we need them or not. And, uh, of course, we can't get by without a stupid man update. There's, I don't know, there's a lot going on. I'm just going to go through the list. All right? Just going to go through the list. That's all coming up on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. 313 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Yes, we're going to try and get a little closer to free during the PL statement today, that time when we look through the news and find things that I can reflect upon, uh, respond to, interpret for you good people here in the best little city in America. Uh, I'm going to start with something local today, and then we're going to get into the stupid man update. Uh, the, I saw the school board held the, one of their work sessions yesterday, and uh, they've been talking about this for uh, a little while now. Uh, about the need for an assessment of our buildings. And because in the Sioux Falls School District, there are now, uh, their projections are that they will have 25,000 K through 12 students as early as 2019. I think it's around, it's in the 23 range right now. Um, and many of our buildings, our school buildings, are already over capacity. Uh, and so they're having this this work session, and and they've been getting some briefings. Now they're going to hire a uh, they put out an RFP, or they're going to to talk, get somebody to sort of gather information, get public input, parents and their teachers, everybody, and get it together. But um, so Superintendent uh, Maher, Brian Maher, he announced this last summer, um, and he uh, has talked about the problems at the middle school level uh, memorial is full uh, Whittier is old and there are issues at the three high schools Roosevelt Washington and Lincoln and you know we've been talking about high schools whether or not we'll need a fourth public high school uh, for a while now and the school district has done a lot of things to keep from having to build another high school uh, including the the CTE Academy and and some different things that they have done uh, in terms of specialization. 
that keeps those schools from overflowing, but they are just getting too big. And so they've got, they've had some focus groups and they have uh, decided uh, even at the most conservative count. uh, And there was a story in the Argus leader about this today, but it was a public meeting they held yesterday and you can go see the information on the school district's website. Eight of the district's 34 school buildings are at or above capacity. Um, and so they have decided that they've put kind of these maximums on each building, what they should have at each level, 600 per elementary school, 900 per middle school and 1800 per high school. And at, even at that rate, um, one third of the elementary schools, too many kids, uh, all five middle schools, all three high schools full. And so they, you know, what we're looking at here, looking forward is the possible, the probability of a bond issue, um, if they need to build new schools, and th- you're looking at it's a methodical, prudent approach by Maher and the administration to uh, get buy-in from everybody and make sure they've done all their due diligence, so that if they do have to build new buildings, they can go to the people and say, "Look, look at we went through all this planning, we got all this input. It's this is this is what we need." whether it's a new high school and a middle school, a couple elementary schools, what have you. Um, The district has tried to avoid building that high school, as I said. The problem is that while the population is growing today and their projections are 25,000, how big can it get? And school districts are essentially landlocked, as you know. They can't get bigger like cities do. Uh, Every piece of land in the state of South Dakota is already taken by a school district. So it's the Sioux Falls, just because the city's growing, doesn't mean the school district is growing. What happens if all those young families start moving to Harrisburg and Brandon and Hartford and Lenox? Even if they're in Sioux Falls, they'll be, they could be in different school districts. So the prospect of a new building and whether you should build them and what you should build is a more comp- complicated formula than it first appears because those changes in demographics and population trends and the economic realities of a growing metropolitan area, all those things have to be taken together to project what your needs will be. And so it is quite complicated, but know this, it's going to be expensive. (laughs) All right. No matter what they do, uh, new buildings are expensive. So it's very possible that if you need a high school, two middle schools and a you know, couple elementary schools that you're easily talking about sixty, seventy five million dollars. That's a lot. That would be a big bond. Um, I think the school district probably could pass it. Now they may try and scale that back and say, well, we need this now, but in five years we're clearly gonna need this. Or we know that there's a big bulge coming through of students and then after that we're good uh, for a while. And how do we deal with that? So that's what they're doing now. It's, it's interesting to watch. Um, you know, the prospect of a fourth high school is, a, is interesting. I think that's the one that gets people's most attention. But stupid man update. We can't, we can't let this go, okay? So I was reading the New York Times today. And, I, you know, I read a lot of different sources. But uh, the New York Times had the uh, sort of roundup of, of uh, sexual harassment in the halls of Congress and the administration. This is uh, every known case involving Congress or the administration. Um, 
Al Franken, of course, we know, Minnesota Democrat, accused by multiple women of groping and two unwanted kissing. He is resigning. John Conyers, Michigan Democrat, used $27,000 in public money to settle a complaint by a former employee who says she was fired because she rebuffed his sexual advances. At least five other women have accused him. Status, resigned. Um, Ruben Kewen, Nevada, Democrat, alleged, allegedly harassed and touched the former finance director of his 2016 campaign, which led her to quit her job. Status, remains a member of the House, although Nancy Pelosi, the Democratic leader, has called on him to resign. Trent Franks, Arizona, Republican. This is a new one. Breaking today, I think, or last night. Allegedly asked two female staffers to be a surrogate to bear his child, which is a new twist. Status, he has announced that he will resign from the House. He said earlier in January, I think today we just heard at the top of the news, that he is leaving because his wife is in the hospital, reportedly under pressure from Paul Ryan, the speaker. So they, he, Franks and his wife had had trouble uh, conceiving a child and eventually, I think, did use a surrogate. But for some reason... Um, he was asking female staffers to be his surrogate. That's not good, and he left. Blake uh, Farenhold, he's a Texas Republican, used $84,000 in taxpayer money to settle a sexual harassment claim from his former communications director, who alleges she was fired after raising concerns. Status remains a member of the House and under investigation by the Ethics Committee. Ryan has not called on Farenhold to resign. Roy Moore, of course, he is in the Pantheon. He's on the Mount Rushmore of stupid men. He is the Alabama Republican Senate candidate. He's accused by multiple women with corroborating evidence of dating teenage girls while an adult and accused by two, one then 14 and one 16 of sexual assault. And, of course, there was a new story about that today. The girl who was 14 has, uh, is fighting back against the allegations that it's not true. His status, supported by the Republican National Committee in his Senate campaign and endorsed by the president. Donald Trump, New York Republican, currently president of the United States, accused by multiple women with corroborating evidence of unwanted kissing or touching and bragged on tape of grabbing women's genitals. Yes, he remains the president of the United States. What's all this mean? Well, it's an impressive list, first of all, in of just politicians, high-level politicians, a lot of state-level, all of that. But when you take a step back and think about it, this is a stunning list. And it's not over. Somewhere, there exists a list of members of Congress who have used a public fund to pay off settlements involving allegations of sexual harassment. Who believes that this list won't come out at some point? The halls of Congress must be trembling. It all comes back to this notion, I believe, that there's a commonality in the cases that revolves around entitlement, that it's bound by the idea that rich and powerful men live by different rules than the rest of us. That does not mean misbehavior does not exist in the middle or lower classes. Certainly, certainly it does, including inappropriate sexual behavior, manipulation, intimidation. These things ripple through our society. But when you're rich and you're powerful, at some point, for some people, they begin to think they're above the law, that they are entitled to have what they want when they want it. It is the delusion of power. So it's just beginning. The question is, what, become, what 
the question becomes, what will we do when all the secrets are laid bare? Will there be an awakening about the pitfalls of power, a new reckoning for generations of paternalism? Certainly the world is changing. There is a sense of an inherent egalitarianism between men and women, between people of different races and religions and ethnicities. We believe that. There's a measure of idealism, I realize, in that statement. That we see it it's the, as the way things should be rather than the way things are. That it's somehow uh, the utopian vision, a perfect world. But this is the real world. And it's filled with all measure of cruelty and greed and misappropriation for personal gain. I know that. But maybe there is hope in this news. As I said earlier this week, the urges are human. Understanding what they are, adjusting instinct into something resembling accepted behavior isn't what we would think of as enlightenment being an enlightened person, citizen, human being. That the economic market is taking its toll on the world of entertainment, that professional responsibility is bringing swift reaction in media, is a reflection of societal norms. It is evidence that our culture has shifted from the days of madmen to this cavalcade of stupid men. This is not accepted behavior if your goal is to either make money off the masses from movies and entertainment or trying to maintain your reputation in the eyes of informed citizens. So those people are quickly dealt with, as we've talked about. Politics is different. Sometimes we reward reward the people who we sense or at times even know that they believe they can step outside the lines. We did this in South Dakota for a generation with Bill Janklow until his obvious and documented flaunting of the rules ended up killing somebody. We saw this with the generation of Kennedys, with the Brat Pack, with Iran-Contra. So maybe this really is a time of transition, of social revolution on par with the civil rights movement and suffrage. Let me reiterate, I don't care what party you're from. If we are a society built on the rule of law, then a reckoning must come. If we are a people of character, however flawed, we are all sinners, but we must hold politicians to the same standard that the market holds for everybody else. That's what happens on election day. Agree or disagree with me, you can email me at patrick at kso.com or follow us on Twitter at P. Lally Show and chat with us there. I always like to hear from you folks. Just fire away. It's always fun. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking with the Buffalo Maiden on the Weird Friends segment. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 3.33 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And I play America. Sister Golden Hair, because I decided something not so long ago. Well, I tried to make it Sunday, but I got so it was actually about this time last week that the Buffalo Maiden was in the studio with us. It was a lovely visit, co-hosting for the full first hour, and then we gathered later, some friends, old friends, school friends. 
and I decided that I'm just going to see people as I remembered them. We were young, we were fresh-faced, <laughs> we were golden-haired. So, how's that sound, Buffalo Maiden? You were never golden-haired. I was never golden-haired, but some of you were. Okay. Yeah, just not me. I was red-haired. People probably don't even yes. know that anymore, do they? No. It's, it's been no. so long that they just know me as the bald guy. Yeah, but obviously red-headed. Yes, I was red We can't call you a ginger, though, but yeah. No, I hate, don't, you know how I feel about that. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, because I didn't hear that term until much later in life. And I'm like, ginger, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, all redheads are called gingers now. I hate it, hate it, hate it. People, because people in my family, I don't know how this happened, but I have, I have two brothers who are, we're not that all far apart, you know, and both of those guys have their hair and I don't. So I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. Something nefarious, I think, in our youth. Um, or you were closer to your mother. Don't you get that trait from your mother? I don't know. We all have red mm -hmm. hair. I mean, if we got the hair, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I'm confused by it. It's, it's it, all. It might be the stress. So I'm just going to remember us all as young, fresh-faced, golden-haired youth. <laughs> um, how are things in the, the, the out in the the Black Hills? The hills, the hills. Yeah. We are, um, you know, we're kind of uh, like you guys. These wind gusts, my gosh, like sixty mile an hour wind gusts, kind of doing some damage around here. Yeah. But uh, it's sunny, and um, I hopefully it's warming up. But it's uh, yeah, it's crazy. We did have a little bit of snow, which was great. But I don't know, you know, anybody heading out here for skiing, I guess they're going to open up on um, the 16th, but it's pretty much like six, a six-inch base. Do you get excited about that? Uh, you know, here's the deal. I don't downhill ski. I mean, I, people go out there and yeah. they have a good time and all that, but I, I don't downhill ski because I, I see that as nothing but surgery. You know what I mean? Like At our age, absolutely. Yeah. And you have to have insurance, too, so you shouldn't ski without insurance. No, and I have a very high deductible right now, so I'm not going to do that <laughs> But because it's dangerous. I like hanging out, you know, having cocktails yeah. with oh, friends. Oh, I'm really good in the ski lodge. That's something that I pride myself on. But uh, but otherwise, uh, downhill skiing, I think I pretty – I don't think you should do it after – well, I shouldn't say that, but I shouldn't have done it after 40. Yeah. You – did you ski as a, a younger person? I skied as a, uh, let's see, as a, what would we call that, a 25 to 30-some-year-old. I learned to ski in Alaska, yeah. actually, straight down on ice, because that's how you do it up there. <laughs> um, and it's just, uh, it was so much fun. But I was also half the stage. Uh, yeah. but so, no, I haven't, uh, I haven't skied in a long time. But I hope that we get the snow, because I think that's important, especially for the economy and for people that have their houses up there and, and that do love to ski. I mean, you know, Cherry Peak's a, a major uh, part of the, the Black Hills in the wintertime. Yeah, and, the you know, the, the snowmobiling and all that. I'm, I'm actually coming out there, I think. I'm going to be discussing this with some people this weekend over the New Year's Day holiday. And go, You should. I'm yeah. free. I don't have anything to do, oh, so right that'll on. be good. Right on. Uh, I look forward to yeah. that. Well, uh, because they cross-country ski, and I, I do do that. But that's but that's a lot of work, though, man. I'd <laughs> the risk of downhill skiing you get a lot further in with a, a less amount of uh, you know uh, effort. Act yes, yes, that's the word <laughs> effort. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no tow rope or anything to pull you back to the top. 
you just got to work your way up. No, and you're on these skinny little things, that, and you're going down hills that are pretty, uh, pretty, in, you know, some yeah. of them are pretty major. See, that's my and, concern. Um, that's my concern right yeah. there. Because I do it here. You spend a lot of time on your butt. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll spend a lot of time on your butt. Yeah, I just, when it gets hairy, I just take a dive. <laughs> I do too. I kind of practice that so that it looks good. But um, yeah, so... So that's pretty good. So how about you guys? Is it snowing over there? Uh, it snowed on whatever day that was. I rode my bike oh, okay. Tuesday, I think, Tuesday. There's You can go sledding and stuff. It, it's hey, enough, uh, you know what I was just reading about? Hmm. Uh, they are opening uh, a true glamping campground uh, by Mount Rushmore this really? summer. Really? And it's by can uh what is it called under canvas and they have one uh they have seven locations um like uh arches and Yosemite but now we have one at Mount Rushmore and so you can actually go camping uh in, in a tent in a canvas tent but you'll have a shower and a toilet nice. uh, they have a restaurant on site um and so they, uh, yeah this is permanent it's all- you know, like a. This is a permanent. Yeah, these are permanent uh, th- uh, sites. So uh, you know, you city folk can come out and you can actually go camping now. Yeah, you can rough you're, it. Now you're you talking. You can rough it. <laughs> I like they probably the build the fire it. for you too. Yes, I hope so. I'm a good fire tender. <laughs> I, I'm actually good at the fire. Are you? Yeah, I, I, oh, I like okay. building fires and stuff. I'm good at that. Well, you were a Boy Scout, I'm sure. <laughs> For a little while, until I, I got kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another story. Yeah, I made it. I made it up to Weebelows before things took a turn. It is, but you know, uh, well, well, I mean, I think that you know the Boy Scout camp up here. That if you do come up uh, and do um, cross country skiing, they have some incredible trails up by Bear Mountain, which is not uh, easy to get to. Um, it's not already traveled. You'll probably run into some cows, maybe a mountain lion, but uh, that's where I suggest you go. Oh, thanks. Fair mountain. <laughs> into the yeah. jaws of the, of the lions. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're going to experience the outdoors, you got to get out from under the glamping campsite. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that this is going to involve a cabin of some sort, but I don't know anything about that yet. Well, and I can help you out. Now this will help because for your Christmas present, I, I, I was... I just saw these uh, sleeping bag onesies. Have you seen these things? They're, <laughs> this, they're like a yeah. sleeping bag that you actually like zip up and you can walk around it and you bring it to the office and you can just take a nap Yes, right there. You can just climb into it. I need that. But this would be perfect for you. You can I put know. it on the bike and you could just sleep anywhere. <laughs> I, I actually do like that idea. And, you know, it's, it tends to be kind of chilly here in the uh, KSOO Palatial Studios because we're yes, on the I north side of the Yes, I noticed that last week. Yeah. Yes. So I might use that at work. That'd be oh, all right. yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll get that on order right there with that uh the retractable belt buckle, retractable <laughs> belt buckle that's that's going to hold a beer can for you while you're cross country skiing. Yeah. Or and eating Cheetos kind of apparently. Yeah. Or eating <laughs> I, I saw this on Facebook and I I don't know if this is I don't know if this is a local thing or what I don't know, but it's it's a belt buckle that looks like a normal old brass belt buckle, America says on it america america yeah and it flips down and that becomes the base but also then sort of like in your car it there's a little ring that flips up and then you just put your beverage of choice holder yeah Yeah. right in front of you but i I, every time i looked at it when i see it i think spillage 
That's all I can think. I think I wouldn't put a hot beverage there. No, no. It's, and maybe maybe not an ice cold beverage either. That might not no, be a good idea. No, no. You might need a koozie, a gazinta. <laughs> That's exactly but I do right. have, I know that this is all going really well for you out um, over there on that side of the state, the mm-hmm. radio show. I think you're doing a great job. Hey, I thanks. think people are enjoying it. But I got a gig for you over here on this side, on the on the real the real Dakotas, on this side of the state. Really? Because um, you used to be in the printed uh, yeah. business where, yeah. the, where we'd read it. Newell, South Dakota, is has, has had two town meetings now contemplating whether they should bring their newspaper back or not. Oh, now, so they're going to hire somebody? I could be the I could uh, be the editor. Yeah, and this is this is a community of six hundred people. I mean, you know, you're you're a good half hour from Belfouche, but I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a happening place. Where's <laughs> Newell? I, I don't even know. I, I just, don't even know if they have internet there, so your space there too. I mean, you just uh, everything has to be printed, and I'm sure it's one of those old printers, you know, that you kind of crank it around. Yeah, mimeograph. But, um, but you got to hand it to the community, you know, in, in, in that line of work, which is dying off everywhere. Um, they want to bring it back. They're going to cling to it. No, they probably need somebody to do something there. That'd be cool. I'm sure yeah, and it, it. You, you could road bike everywhere. Yeah. Now, and, uh, isn't Newell and not kinda, see anybody. Isn't Newell kind of out in the flat somewhere, though? It's not even. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, that's why you would road bike flat and you won't run into anybody because there is nobody but um you make it sound so good a, well it'll be great mm-hmm. i mean yeah the housing is cheap yeah. and um they probably have benefits well, for it um, couldn't i just be a dishwasher for you i think i'd probably make more uh well I, you know i'm just trying to get you get you somewhere um new and exciting on this part of the state. They actually have a big rodeo up there. They have Mm. a pretty established little community um, Mm -hmm. for the 600 people. And if you're a peddler, you have to be licensed. So, (laughs) uh, you know, so they've got it going on. That's outstanding. It could only be so good. I'll take that into consideration. Uh, Buffalo Maiden, thanks for checking in with us today. I appreciate it. Sounds good. We'll talk to you later. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. And next up, we're going to talk with Thea Miller-Ryan from the Outdoor Campus and uh, chat about ice fishing, of all things. That's coming up. We'll be right back. I go out walking after midnight Out in the moonlight Just like we used to do I'm always walking Patsy Klein's walking after midnight at 347 here on the Patrick Lally Show. And it's Patsy Klein, so that must mean that Thea Miller-Ryan from the Outdoor Campus is in the house. <laughs> I'm not walking after midnight, but we're talking about walking on ice. Yeah, and I, I always, I think that applies to you because Thanks. it's that, you know, I'm outside. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's why I picked. And you like and you like old country. I do love old country. And uh, you brought with you today, as you always do. You always bring a guest, and today you brought with you Todd, uh, man, Todd Saint Sauver. Sauver. You got it. That's right. I just I hesitated there. I I didn't trust myself as usual. And Todd, you are the oh man. Look at listen to this title. This is what you all want: the regional (laughs) fisheries manager for game fishing parks. That That's, sounds like something, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds more important than it really is, I oh, guess. Oh, come on now. So you must deal with ice fishing at this time of year. 
Yep, my, my whole job deals with fishing, and uh, now we're transitioning to the ice fishing season. And uh, it's, as I've uh, grown up in South Dakota, it's just become more and more popular as time goes by. That was my question. It's it, I see people ice fishing everywhere now. Obviously, in town, we have places to go ice fishing. You, you know, it, it used to be just like Brant and Madison and that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. now you see them everywhere. What is the deal with that? Well, um, we manage a lot more fisheries than we used to. Uh, uh, we've created some urban and community fisheries around the areas. And uh, uh, in general, there's just more people ice fishing, and, and that's due a, a lot in part to uh, the technology available these uh, days for for staying comfortable while you're out there in the cold. So Yeah, there's fancy huts and heaters and such, although I always thought it was odd to have a heater above the ice. That always scared me. <laughs> yeah, uh, it doesn't make, uh, it's kind of ironic, I guess, but uh, uh, I've never heard of anybody melting themselves through the ice <laughs> with a heater yet. So yeah, That's good. So uh, how close are we able, how close are we to be able to actually go out and ice fish we can't do it yet i mean well uh yeah we're not too far away uh of course with the warm weather we've had this fall we're uh we're actually several weeks behind in ice ice formation Good. Um, the uh the lakes in uh, the southeast part of the state here just froze over in the last couple of days so um you know we're we're waiting for that magical two inch uh thick range mm-hmm. that's that's when it's generally uh people start walking out on the ice a little bit right but here's my question about that okay Mm -hmm. so how do you know it's two inches (laughs) if you don't go out on it Exactly. you know what i'm saying well yeah you know you uh we urge everybody to be real cautious that first time they go out and and they should just go a few feet out from shore and and drill a hole and and check how how thick that ice is, and then uh, as they proceed further out into the lake, they should uh, keep digging test holes just to, to check that thickness. And and uh, uh, most people don't realize the the lakes don't freeze up on an even layer. Um, yeah, it's a, it's it's uneven. That's what I always had this impression that it's going to be narrower, or you know, not as thick near the shore. Is that true or not? Well, uh, at at certain times of the year. Um, it, it's probably uh, a little thicker near shore early in the year because oh. that gets that water gets colder faster because it's shallower oh, because it's sense. shallow but then in the springtime uh, it warms up faster and it thaws quicker than the than the middle part of the ice that's probably why i have that impression because you see in the spring the mm-hmm. ice is out in the middle and then yeah. uh so it's two inches if you're walking on it uh, but here's the really crazy thing. When people drive their cars out there, <laughs> how many cars go through the ice every year, do you figure? Oh, it's, you know, it's a handful in South Dakota, you know, probably less than 10. Uh, some some years are worse than others, but, uh, you know, luckily we, you know, luckily we, we don't have many fatalities with that. But, uh, but yeah. Um, That's got to be pretty thick, though, to be taking a, a ton, one-ton car out there. Yeah, you know, and I want to emphasize no ice is safe just because go. it's because it's uh it's variable and everything. But it's generally thought that about twelve inches of ice is is where you get to uh, you know, where it should be 
uh, relatively safe to, to put a vehicle on, especially if that's just good, clear, solid ice. But uh, And then know. it snows, and that affects the ice as well, right? Yeah, correct. If we get if we get too much snow early on in ice development, that can actually insulate the ice and and it won't form as fast and and you can get warm spells that'll melt the top layers of ice and that'll kind of weaken it and and so you, you I think everybody's getting the gif, gist now that uh those conditions out there vary all the time and you just can't be absolutely sure that the ice is safe. Wouldn't you say I mean, we don't have any lakes that are, you know, six miles across or anything. Uh, you know, just hoof it out there, right? <laughs> I, you know, if you've got a shack out there, do you really need to bring your truck with you? Come on, pack it up and hoof it out. Yeah, but, you know, uh, we live in South Dakota, and there's that one little thing in South Dakota called the wind. Ah, okay. <laughs> no, I'll, get, I'll grant you that one. And uh, How about an ice bike? I think that's what people, they need to get fat bikes and put studs in them and ride them out there. <laughs> there Start a go. new thing. Oh, ice fishing awesome. from your bike? Yeah, yeah bike fishing. It. Yeah, we can make that happen. You can bring your pail out there so you can sit on it. Let's do it at the outdoor campus. That's sounds game. Oh, how about, like, uh, <laughs> bike races on the pond? Wow, I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> but ice fishing, we can do that. That's a, you know, those, uh, uh, they race motorcycles on oh, the ice. It's and, fun. I've, yeah. I've actually ridden motorcycles on the ice, and it is really cool. Right. Um, and that's the other thing is people do that. I mean, you get a big crowd of people up at Lake Madison or wherever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. <laughs> and the, but the ice is holding it up. That's impressive. Yeah, the the uh, the ice will move though. Uh, I've seen it where you get uh, if anybody who's fishing and and uh, is watching their hole and uh, in a vehicle drives by, they'll they'll see the water mm-hmm. go up and down in the hole, and and that's the ice flexing as that's it, when as I run by. Yeah, that's when I just turn and run. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Well, so, as long as it doesn't flex to the point it breaks, everything's yeah. fine. How so. is the fishing generally? Um, we've had a fantastic year of fishing, uh, in South Dakota, uh, especially in the Southeast this year. Uh, of course we don't have anybody out there ice fishing just yet, but, uh, I, I have no reason to believe it wouldn't be just as good this, this winter, if not better. So outstanding. The, uh, any, uh, ice fishing classes coming up over the outdoor campus like that, but you, yes. you can ice fish over there. Yeah, we, we definitely teach ice fishing. Um, as soon as we have some ice, we'll be putting putting out a lot of information on classes that we'll have available. Um, but we want to make sure that we're as safe as we can be. Outstanding. Uh, Thea Miller-Ryan, from the director of the Outdoor Campus, and Todd St. Solver, he is the regional fisheries manager for Game Fish and Parks. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. you. Good Thanks fishing out there. Us. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 357 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And it's happy hour from the House Martins for our happy hour edition of the Patrick Lally Show here on Information 1000. Hey folks, don't forget December 14, 15, 16, 17, that's coming up next week. Christmas at the Cathedral, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's at the Cathedral of St. Joseph. All four nights at 7.30, plus a 1 p.m. performance on Saturday and 2 p.m. on Sunday. Proceeds will benefit the Bishop Dudley House and Cathedral of St. Joseph. Ongoing care and maintenance endowments. 
Go out there, Google it. You'll find tickets. Great event. Coming up in the second hour of the Patrick Lally Show, we're going to talk to Dr. Orvar Johnson. Johnson, he's a hyper. He's going to talk about hypertension and some new guidelines for blood pressure and that sort of thing. And then Greg Jamison, mayoral candidate, will be here. That's all coming up on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Four oh five on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. And uh, I saw some a uh, story the other day about some changes in what we should consider uh, healthy blood pressure and hypertension and how to get your blood pressure taken. And so we've got uh, Dr. Orvar Janssen, who is a uh, cardiologist with Sanford Health, on the line here, and we're going to talk just a little bit about what you should know about your heart because it's important. Dr. Janssen, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So uh, there's been there's been some news lately, as you know, about sort of uh, hypertension, essentially, and that's something you deal with every day. Um, what what are the new guidelines? Can you explain it to us? Just explain it to us just a little bit. Yeah. So basically, the guidelines changed. They were updated about a month ago or last month, and uh, so uh, what we now consider hypertension, they lower the cutoff points. So we used to consider. Uh, Normal blood pressure is 120 over 80, and that has not changed. And then between 120 and 140 over 80 to 90 was considered elevated blood pressure. But now uh, they changed the guidelines. So now uh, hypertension, instead of being 140 over 90, is now considered 130 over 80. So it's gone down about 10 points for both the systolic and the diastolic blood pressure. That seems significant to me. It is quite significant. And, uh, and just uh, for the whole population currently based on the old guidelines about 30 32 percent of the of adult americans have hypertension but uh there's about 70 million people but uh just with this change in the guidelines now we consider about 45 to 46 percent of people having hypertension which is over 100 million people so another 30 million now fall into the hypertension group there well, that's an amazing number yep what exactly what is hypertension we've heard that word as long as I've been alive, what does it mean? Well, hypertension, basically our heart uh, generates blood pressure by pumping blood around the arteries uh, based on resistance in, 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 the, in the arteries. And uh, when arteries get kind of stiffer, uh, it's more like you're pumping blood into a, a more solid tube in, instead of an elastic vessel, and, and, and your blood pressure goes up. It's more common as you get older, of course. Mm-hmm. And other and environmental factors affect your blood pressure as well. Does that mean that it affects the... Some of these bad habits we have affect the elasticity of the of the uh, system, the arteries. Absolutely. So uh, blood pressure, like I said, it is more common as we get older. But uh, also, uh, if if you're over overweight or uh, smoke or drink alcohol uh, and uh, don't exercise, we have more or higher blood pressure. Also, with increased salt intake, that does raise the blood pressure. That's interesting. So um, the other side of that is that I heard about was when you're getting your blood pressure taken, uh, and, and I don't ever remember doing this, you're supposed to rest for five minutes. What is like meditate or what does that mean exactly? Well, I think it's more just that because when you, when you're active or exercising, your blood pressure does go up and that is normal. So, uh, you just want to make sure that you kind of sit down and, and rest for a few minutes. So uh, the blood pressure has had a chance to calm down to its baseline before you check it. Yeah, and except when I'm going to the doctor, I'm never not tense. 
So, you know, I go in and I'm going to be tense. So I, I always figure my blood pressure is higher then than it should be when it's, when I'm just, you know, sitting around doing my job. Yeah. And, and it is, and it's a very well-known concept. And, and uh, some people have what's called white coat hypertension. They always get nervous at the doctor's office and the blood pressure is uh, much higher there than other places where they get it checked. So, uh, and we take that into account. However, that is still a risk factor for strokes and heart attacks, uh, just like any other hypertension, because if you're stressed at the doctor's office, what about when you're driving home in traffic and other things? Yeah. So, uh, so you def- definitely have a tendency then for uh, your blood pressure to shoot up uh, under little stressful situations. So these new guidelines, what does it mean to me? Should I should I uh, run out, go talk to my doctor if I think I've got high blood pressure, or what what should I do? Yeah. So well, the guidelines don't really affect you if you should go and see your doctor. You should have done that anyway, and kind of watch your blood pressure. And we recommend that people kind of keep an eye on the blood pressure because it is called the silent killer because people don't have any symptoms, and uh, but it does significantly raise your risk of strokes and heart attacks. However, now the number is lower, so if your blood pressure is over 130, over 80, either number, then you should go and visit your doctor and, and discuss it with your mm-hmm. physician. Because there's a lot of things you can do short of having to take medicine. Absolutely, and, and, and the first thing that your physician would recommend uh, is... Uh, kind of go over those uh, habits, like cutting mm-hmm. down alcohol intake, exercise, lose weight if that, if that is needed, things like that. So you always start with those uh, non-medical uh, treatments, uh, especially in younger people that have a lower risk of heart disease. Yeah, but the medications themselves have come a long way, haven't they? Oh, yep, and there's a lot of medication available for hypertension that uh, from many different classes. There's a lot of options there. But uh, like I said, also the guidelines kind of... Uh, took into account uh, people's risk of heart disease uh, because it's, a, it's going to be a big issue. Like what about a 30-year-old that has a blood pressure 135 over 80? Should that one be on treatment? Yeah. But like I said, it all comes down to risk factors, kind of like, like cholesterol guidelines have now gone to. So your physician will use a certain method to calculate your 10-year risk of developing heart disease. And if that risk is above 10%, then they would recommend medical management. If the risk is lower, this is usually in young people that don't have any other, other risk factors, then the recommendation is just to kind of treat those uh, risk factors and, and, uh, and, and, and do the non-medical treatment. Mm-hmm. And why, uh, finally, why did they do this? Why did they change it? What's it? What was it based on in terms of... Well, there was a, in the last couple of three years, there, there was a, there'd been more data coming out and, and the one big study that came out that showed that uh, by lowering the blood pressure, you do truly improve long-term outcomes. There was a study on people that are actually more higher risk, like people with diabetes and, and heart disease, uh, where they showed that going from 140 goal blood pressure to 120 significantly reduced the risk of, of, of further events like a heart attack or strokes. And, and even just blood pressure going from 120 to 130 that does, ra- does raise the risk of stroke and heart attack by about 50%. It's interesting. Well, we'll be watching that, and I, I'm going to go get my blood pressure taken mm-hmm. here real soon. Good for uh, you. Dr. Orvar Janssen from Sanford Health. He's a cardiologist, and we were talking about the new guidelines for hypertension. Uh, thank you, sir, for taking some time for us today. Thank you so much. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 415 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 
And uh, we have been talking a lot about city politics here on the Patrick Lally Show, as you know, and we are so we're very, very happy to welcome back to the studio Mr. Greg Jameson. Mr. Greg Jameson is a mayoral candidate, of course, and former city councilor and current state legislator. That sometimes gets forgotten, doesn't it, Mr. Jameson? It does sometimes, but not not all the time. Because you're, you know, most of your uh, fame and fortune—not fortune—your most of your public fame has been from city politics. Right, eight years on the city council starts to add up. Yes. Yeah, and and you were, and also a former mayoral candidate. You ran against uh, Mayor Mike Uther as four years ago. I did. What did you learn from that that you're bringing to this lovely experience this time around? Great. We we start off with a my my loss right away. <laughs> Well, we'll get it out of the, of the way. You don't want you you, get, you don't want to end with that. No, well, no. Actually, it is it is be uh, becoming a part of what I talk about when I when I meet with people and they ask about who I am and why I'm running and and that does come up. And that that race was a big deal. You know, I was the only person running against the incumbent. And in all the history of time, the incumbent never gets beat. But it was a it was a stance on my part to to run against him because I opposed a lot of the approaches that he was taking, and I knew we could do it better and different, and, uh, but I lost. The hard part was, I can tell you, was losing for sure, but was going back to work and having the next council meeting and sitting at the same meeting with him, and he won and you lost, and, and everybody is kind of looking at everybody, and it was hard. I learned a lot about myself and, and being able to go back. I've seen it in the past where others have done the similar race and lost and then quit. And I wasn't going to let that happen to me. And my dad is watching me through all this, you know, so there's no way he would ever let me do it. But anyway, I learned a lot about myself and my courage and character. And and as well, I think the public learned a lot about me because they saw what kind of person I really am and how I would react to a loss. Because they've seen me when I've won, but they also got to see me when when I've lost. Is it the only election you've ever lost? Yes. Yeah. What was it like the next morning getting up? Uh, you know, won't lie. Won't lie. It was tough. You wanted to kind of sleep in. You wanted to hide. Um, we had a lot of signs to pick up. And I had spent the night before picking them up. So I got to spend a lot of time in the dark by myself <laughs> picking up these signs all over town. And then you have them in your garage. And then you have to go put them away. And then, you know, people are condoling you and all those kinds of things. But... Um, no, it took a little while to get over that. But now you can reuse the signs, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it worked out pretty well. There's an upside, right, Pat? There you go. Good job. Yes, there's See, the upside. See how I Thank did that? Yeah. Um, this is a entirely different kind of election. Uh, as you said, the last yeah. time you ran, it was mano a mano. This time it's eight right. people. Um, exactly. Just to get into the runoff. Uh, how are you approaching this race differently? Right, so exactly. Very good question. The last time it was a lot about him versus me. And it always turned the conversation into what would you do different than what he's been doing or what's different about you two. Just like you mentioned, when Mm -hmm. it gets to the runoff, that'll kind of become the discussion as well. What's the difference between the two of you? But right now, everybody's involved in trying to get everybody to understand who they are, where they come from, what their plans are, their visions, their experience, and all those things. Just to get to know you seems to be the message today. And later it'll become, what's the difference? Right. Um, so the other thing about 
you is that you are currently an office holder. Yeah. Um, I think out of everybody that's in the race right now, you're the only one that actually is currently in office. A lot of former office holders. Right. Uh, how do you? How are you going to balance this against having to go to peer in January, which is shouldn't be foisted on any person, but you accepted it willingly. Right. Well, you know, you you call it a challenge, but it's actually an advantage because I am entrenched in all of the issues facing the state, all the legislation that impacts the city itself and the state as a whole, and all of the people who live here. So I'm engaged in daily activity about bills that are coming through, uh, working through the budget issues. It actually keeps me on my game better and keeps me aware of the current issues and really what's important. And part of being in politics like this, the energy that keeps you going is working with those people. So I've got, I think, an advantage. Have you enjoyed being in the legislature? As I look at it, if I look at the two jobs that you've had, city councilor and legislature, I would take city councilor every time. (laughs) Sure. Well, I have had a chance, a great chance, to experience both. And what I've learned that's different is in peer, you have a much bigger audience, a much bigger constituent base, and the topics that you cover are varied from our Second Amendment rights to all kinds of things. And so the city council is generally limited to land use issues and zoning and things like that. So it's, I would tell you it's maybe a little more interesting and pure. Plus, you have all these legislators from every nook and cranny of the state. And there are some great characters out there, funny guys. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, getting to know these new people, that's fun and exciting too. Before we get to some serious city issues, Sure. Um, you were only served one uh, session in peer, even. Right. Um, there's been a lot of talk about peer and inappropriate behavior. Yeah. What's your experience been? Have you witnessed bad things, heard bad things? I witnessed, no. Heard maybe some things that shouldn't have been said, maybe uh, inappropriately, probably right. Uh, you know, you're all alone out there in peer, everybody's staying in hotel rooms. There's all kinds of uh, social events. There's bars that are off the beaten path and social uh, places and things that happen that there are opportunities for the wrong things to happen. And uh, so, you know, when I first, the first session I was there, we had a legislator who was resigning because of some of the accusations mm-hmm. against him. And the process was such that he was, he was, there was an investigation. That was Matt a, Woolman, I mean, okay, you can say yeah. his name, and he, sure. he admitted to the exactly. activity. He well, was single, um, yeah, all yeah, that, but it was yeah. it was deemed inappropriate, and he left. Right? Deemed inappropriate, and he left, yeah. right. So, and yes, there's all kinds of discussions about it. In fact, last night at an event at a legislative social that we had in Sioux Falls with a group, this issue came up, and this group wanted us to pass or create a new law that prohibited certain activities from occurring, and if they did occur, that those legislators would be removed. And our discussion with them was that the, the language is very broad. It kind of comes down to if you're, if you're doing activities that are unbecoming a legislator, then there's grounds for you to be removed. I mean, that's very broad. And so it leaves it up to your peers to decide. But absolutely, it's changing the way that I do things, you know, the way that I hold meetings, the places I'll go. Uh, so absolutely, it's on our minds. Do you think that they should... Don't you think that there should be a restriction on free food and booze from organizations, lobbyists, what have you, for legislators? Uh, you know, 
So here's the interesting thing. When I came out there last time, last year, IM-22 was in place, and it prohibited all those things from occurring. And what it did is it shut down Pier and all of their uh, uh, convention business, really, meeting rooms and, and catering business. So and the, the economy of Pier is based on free booze? It, it, I think it is. <laughs> okay. Well, no, we're just going to leave that right <laughs> there because I like that quote. <laughs> no, um, I said I think it is. You think it, it is. Well, I think it is. And, but that doesn't mean it's right. Well, fair enough. And, and the idea of, of not having it or outlawing it creates a burden and a problem. And we were talking about the pay for legislators and our per diem per day. So what I did in the beginning, I can, I, I can share this, maybe I shouldn't, but my per diem is spent entirely on my room. There, are, there is no money left for food and things. So the funny joke about it is all week in peer at all these social events, I never use a fork because everything is a finger food. <laughs> yeah. And my How diet booze? Is, you can have all the free food you want, but the booze. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of free bars open. Yeah. yeah. So all the all the uh, you know fountain pop you can drink. And that's what I do. Yeah. I I really practice myself. Not everybody does that. Yeah. But I do it myself because I, I just. Well, I'm, you're a healthy guy. Well, but that, but I know what kind of trouble you can get into. Yeah. So. Um, we're here with Greg Jamison. He is a candidate for mayor of Sioux Falls, even though we've been talking a lot about the legislator because he legislature because he is also a legislator. Um, let's move on to city issues. Uh, first of all, I want to get your reaction to the deal, the $50 million mm-hmm. hotel parking ramp, PPP, public private partnership. Uh, do you think it's a good deal? I, it's a very good deal for the developer. Is it a good deal for the city? It's a good deal for the city. It's just a very good deal for the developer. Why? How so? Well, think of this land and where it's located. Uh, the developer or anybody else could not have purchased any land closer to the river in a better spot than that. They needed the city. The city didn't really need them. And so when this package got put together, I believe the deal should have been in far more favor of the city than the developer. Now, that's how I see it, you know, and I wasn't at every meeting, but I paid attention pretty well. It's just how I see it. That land was pretty, is pretty awesome, and we should have gotten a great deal. On, on the spectrum of deals, the city should have gotten a great deal. Instead, it appears the developer got a great deal. Do you think they should have had to share more of the uh, preparation costs, the land prep costs, or do you just think there should have been more money involved in the lease, which it's a it's million dollars for 80 years or whatever it is? Right, so there's a lot of things happening there, right? The lease is, a, uh, is an interesting thing. You know, the diner, where it sits, that's a city-owned piece of property, and those people lease that for very little, but it's, it's brought something great downtown. That's the very next jewel in our community is that piece of land where the diner is. But on the other side, you know, we talked a lot about the average cost per building. You wouldn't get rid of the diner, though, would you? No, I'm just, <laughs> okay. I love the diner. Yeah, that's right. But all I'm saying is... Uh, those great pieces of property are very limited downtown. And that parking lot that they're converting into a parking ramp is one of those places. And so when you talk about the average cost per parking spot in a ramp at 20000 that's a national average. I would probably argue that the local, regional average is much lower. So the national average is... But that prob- is a bear, as Greg Neitzer points out, that's a, 
not a great number necessarily because it is a bare bones number with no fire suppression, none of the other things that they had to put in this ramp. Yeah, well, fair, fair enough, maybe. But the point is, take that amount of money and the number of spots that we need, create the check, whatever it is, here you go. That's our deal. That's our part. The rest is up to you. Mm. We're here with Greg Jamison, and we are going to continue this conversation about the uh, parking ramp deal and other issues surrounding city government right after the news and the weather. We'll be right back. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 433 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we're continuing our conversation here with Mr. Greg Jamison, former city councilor, current state legislator, and candidate for mayor of Sioux Falls. And we've been talking about the parking ramp deal that went down this week. The council voted uh, six to one with one absence um, that got a lot of attention. Uh, I don't want to spend too much more time on this because you've got other issues to talk about, but what would you have done differently if you were the mayor here? You said they got, they did, they got a deal, but not a good deal, but that's a subjective question. Um, in the totality, what would you have done differently with this deal if you were mayor? Well, the, the holdout would have been a little harder, a little longer on the value of our property. As the city knows, they would never want to sell that land because it's in a location that uh, could never be rebuilt. And so I think as a mayor, the process is probably as well as it can get, getting the RFQ laid out and getting those proposals to come in and having them uh, reviewed and decided upon what is best for the priorities of the city and that location and the needs of the city. It's pretty hard to tweak that. I've been involved in that over the years. Uh, it's a it's a solid process, um, but holding out a little more on the value of that land would have been certainly something I would have done. Should we know who the investors are, as has been suggested by Teresa Staley? And right. Others? So here's here's the here's what I've learned. You know, a long time ago, I put the pressure on the city to release the the investors that are involved in the tiffs that we give out, and uh, you know, lo and behold, we found that the mayor's wife was involved in a tiff. You know, we didn't know that. And so that's what's kind of threw me into a tizzy. Well, let's, we should know who these people are. What I've learned from the business community is that if they have to disclose those investors, it's going to put a chilling effect on their abilities to put together a package of investors to get something done. It and becomes an ethical question for the mayor, whoever the mayor is, or city councilors, or any public official, okay. if they are trying to enrich themselves off projects that are tied to the city government that's an ethical question it's a very difficult thing to say we have to know everybody who's invested in this because we got to know that they're make sure there are people who are not invested it's exactly what's happened is because of that history it creates skepticism about every deal going forward and you've read about it you maybe you were there when we published the information that the mayor thought all previous mayors had done this I was. it was fair game so what Teresa has done is she's, she's received that information and says, well, we need to prevent that from ever happening again. And the only way to do that is to make sure we know who all these investors are. I think the general public's feeling is they want a fair deal. Yeah. They want the city to do a good job and, ma- and make a good deal on whatever they're doing. 
and the investors is kind of maybe down the road a little bit. Yeah. Most public officials aren't going to be involved in any way that violates state law or ethics, and so we should trust them. That's hard to do. Um, it is. We are here with Greg Jamison. He is, of course, a candidate for mayor, and he brought with him, uh, you know, this doesn't make great radio, Greg. <laughs> he, there's a large uh, orange uh, construction barrel in my uh, studio here that says Greg Jamison for mayor on it. What's Are you... Are you renting those out now? Are you going into that business, or what are you doing with that thing? Absolutely. Well, I thought a visual would be great for radio. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for the, the Twitter feed. I'll put it up there. I'll put it up on P. Lally show here when we get done. But Sure, Pat. Well, what I'm calling it is our Smoother Roads Ahead pledge, and I've signed it. And, Pat, today is the first day, and I brought three markers. One's a big marker. Mm-hmm. One's a smaller marker. Mm-hmm. But we're getting everybody who wants smoother roads to sign it. To sign your barrel? To sign the barrel. Got it. And so we're going to get as many signatures as we can before the election. And I've already been warned that I might need to get more barrels because so many people want to sign it. But, Pat, today I am offering you the chance to be the first one to sign it. I'm not signing your barrel. Let's just get that out there. (laughs) Sign my... Pat, would you sign my barrel? No, I will not sign your barrel. No, because... Well, that's my opinion is not important. So that's your signature up on top of the barrel. Absolutely. Oh, okay. I didn't even see that. Signature. I just saw the big sign. Yeah. You you know why you're going to need another barrel? Because everybody's going to sign it that big now. That <laughs> should set a bad precedent. It's a four-foot barrel with yeah. all kinds of space, but we're going to have a little fun with it. So this whole deal, that's your, your catchphrase here, smoother, regs, smoother roads ahead, the hashtag and all that. Yeah. Why are you so focused on roads? Is it This is your number one issue, right? Number one issue, but still, smoother roads ahead is figuratively and literally. There are, like you saw Tuesday night, what happened in the city council, that can't happen any longer. We've got to start working better together as a council and an administration and with the city of the citizens of our, of our city. Now you throw in the CVB, the Chamber of Commerce, the Development Foundation, Forward Sioux Falls, the state of South Dakota. All those entities and all those ways can be handled better than they've been in the past. And so that's where my smoother roads comes in figuratively. Literally, it does absolutely mean the roads. And the investment that's necessary to maintain them is, is absolutely paramount. And it's what I hear the most from the citizens of Sioux Falls. The taxpayers want me to focus on that. I've heard that. All the eight years on the city council, I heard it. And we've been trying all, of, all this time to to make our roads smoother, have our traffic flow better. Those are the priorities, and, and we're also talking about crime and other things, but smoother roads ahead is the catchphrase, and that's my hashtag, smoother roads ahead, Pat. It's, it, I, I like the barrel. That's a nice touch. It's good. Um, yeah. I'm still not going to sign it. Uh, You'll the, sign it someday. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, no, I just, the. Smoother roads ahead also do, help bike riders. And remember, well, sure. And I here's the thing. Here's my thing. Okay, here's my question. I've asked every candidate that comes through here yeah. this question because I know that people bring this up over and over again. You're right about that. Do you think we have bad roads? Do we have unsmooth roads? So we've got challenges. We've got places for improvement. I know this. Of all the things that the taxpayers of this community want me as a mayor and the city council to focus on, it is roads. Do you roads. think we have bad roads? Well, see, here's what happens. Yes or no? Do you think we have bad roads? Do I roads? think we have, we have yes. marginal roads? 
You, you're right. Compared to who? You travel to other places and you live in other places, you get to understand what bad roads really Sioux are. Sioux City, sure. Des Moines, Minneapolis, Omaha. Right, but what you cannot do is tell the public that their opinion is wrong. I'm reacting to exactly what I'm hearing. If they told me that they didn't feel safe at night and traveling downtown was a problem, I'm going to address it. I've realized that that's the message from the voters. That's the message from the taxpayers. They want me to focus on roads, and I'll go down in flames yelling smoother roads ahead because I believe that's what I'm hearing from the public, and that's what they want. It's interesting. We're going to come right back with Greg Jamison. We're going to keep some time here in the last segment and uh, talk more about some other issues. We'll go into the lightning round a little early. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 445 on the Patrick Lally Show, the happy hour edition of the Patrick Lally Show. And so we brought in Greg Jamison, mayoral candidate for the happy hour conversation. I, they don't have anything to do with each other, Greg, but thanks for being here anyway. All right. um, first of all, uh, you sent me a note, or I saw something, maybe it was on Facebook, oh, yeah. that you have uh, a little gathering coming up, right? Right. Tomorrow, Tell the people. Tomorrow at uh, Marlin's Restaurant on Minnesota Avenue on... Uh, you know, 10th in Minnesota, they're right by uh, the Argus Leader, that that Marlins. Uh, from 10 to 11.30, I'll be hosting an event to just have coffee with anybody who wants to come in and visit, get, introduce themselves, or sign my uh, orange barrel. You'll have the barrel I'll there. with the barrel. Is that allowed? No shirt, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> shirt, no shoes, no barrel? What? No. Go we'll ahead. see. What time? 10 to 11.30. 10 so, to 11.30 yeah. tomorrow at Marlins. Marlins, yes. Okay. Lovely Saturday morning. Maybe get some eggs. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, we, I, I don't may want to make this about the parking ramp again, but uh, the issue of public input that sure. uh, meeting drew attention to the public input process. Um, there has been rumblings that there might be a move to try and you know there have been limits on the public input process in terms of time and the number of people who can speak on any given, t- you know, on any given side. Uh, should we further limit it? Should we change it? What should we do? Well, it, as an example of what happened on Tuesday, what they could have done and has been done in the past is before the public input starts on that particular item, agenda item, they lay out the parameters, the rules. I've seen it done in the past where we've said we've got an hour for their proponents and an hour for the opponents and everybody get in line and, and we'll go others where we said we're going to dedicate an hour to this so anybody who wants to talk about this get in line we've got an hour look at the clock it's 7:48. we're going to stop at 8:48 or earlier but everybody get in line you lay out those rules ahead of time and everybody in the audience gets to understand what the parameters are and then we go and that seems to hold a kind of a, a continuity to the organization of the event. Nobody feels left out. And if people start repeating themselves, you know, you're only wasting your time by repeating it. So don't repeat yourselves from others. Um, so the opportunity was lost for not laying out the rules ahead of time. I think that's where they really missed their opportunity. Okay. Um, let's move on to some other issues. Uh, the big ones. Um, let's talk about crime for a second. Uh, is do we have a crime problem in Sioux Falls? Sure. Well, I believe we do. I've heard others, Pat, that you've asked that very question to, and they keep saying that crime is not outpacing the population growth in our community. And Except they, for one thing, meth. That's what often the, the 
that's what's driving the crime is meth. Right. Well, that is the source of all of those uh, felony crimes. So meth is at the core of all of those issues. And you've got other candidates, but I, I talked about it in my announcement speech months ago that that was one of my top priorities was to address meth. So you ask, is there a crime problem? And I say, yes, there is. We've got to deal with it. We can't pretend it's not a problem and look the other way and say, oh, well, that's just the average and we'll just keep going up the chart as our population goes. It's just fine. You know, no, I'm not going to stand for that. And I'm intending to make it a big deal to make a big impact on meth because it devastates families, individuals, all the social services that are required to take care of something that happens. A mom or dad who now has lost their kids to foster care and all the impacts that that has. I've, I've had a nephew who is addicted to meth. I've seen it firsthand. It's a cancer in our community. It threatens our, our family values in this community. We just got to stop it. How do you stop meth? How do you, you, what, does the, what can the city do to fight meth addiction? Right, sir. One of the attempts that I'm, I'm working at is uh, introducing intervention, prevention, education in the school system. You don't run the school system. I know, but we can fund and help fund organizations that can go into the schools under contract. Didn't we just cut back uh, prairie prevention? Wasn't that it? Yes, we did. Okay. Can't believe it. And that's what they do. That's exactly what they do, and we need that. And now what I'm learning is it starts even earlier than what it was when you and I were young. It's even earlier, and the impacts it has on those kids and their families is huge. The classrooms are disrupted by kids who are struggling because their parents couldn't get them to school or can't take care of them, all those kinds of things. Anyway, it's starting earlier than we ever imagined and would ever want to talk about. But the, the whole approach is you've got to acknowledge you have a problem first. And that's what's, that's what's not happening today, at least in my opinion. So your, your emphasis in the broad strokes is to, if you're going to spend money, because everything takes money, you're going to spend it on intervention and prevention programs and recovery? Education and recovery. Recovery is a, is a large discussion. It's we're a having. huge amount of money for meth recovery because it is one of the most difficult addictions to treat. That's exactly right. And the state's dealing with it. We're talking about that already. And that's the effect why you've got to start with prevention is because you'll never be able to do all the treatment afterwards. You've got to stop the pipeline from filling up. And if right now it's full. We're going to do our best, of course. We're going to talk about enforcement as well. But it starts with prevention, and that's where I really want to get involved in the meth prevention as well. Enforcement. Anybody caught doing sh- uh, dealing meth needs to be dealt with, and and the state has very harsh penalties for that. So I'm not really is that w- really. I mean, dealing dealing becomes kind of a, a muddled concept when people are basically just they're selling meth to make to get money to buy meth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Is it just tougher penalties doesn't seem to solve a drug problem. No, you're right. But it, it's all of those things together. And at the end of the day, I hope what people take away from this conversation and my whole campaign is that there's a guy who is committed to making an effort and fixing the meth problem in our community. If we could take out the, if we could make a dent there, it also eliminates a lot of those high felony crimes that we have in our community. So everything just improves, but at the core of it is meth. Um, we're talking with Greg Jameson, mayoral candidate in the April election, April 10th. He is one of eight candidates. The runoff is May 1st, and there will be a runoff, right? Uh, 
I know. Greg's going for 50% no. plus one. That's his goal. That no would, runoff. You know, if that happened, that would be a mandate from any, any Well, that would be candidate. huge, but yeah. it's not going to happen. Right. Um, uh, the budget. So sales tax revenues are, are flat, essentially. Uh, they're flat. The state's, into, you know, experiencing it. The city's experiencing it. Uh, you say you're going to fix all the roads. Uh, is that That's going to take all the money, <laughs> right? Okay, so sales tax growth is growing at a slower rate than it has been growing. So revenue is increasing. It's just not One as... One or 2%, right? right? Isn't that where that's it is? That's the growth. Okay. So back in 08 and 10, it was, it was, a, it was in a uh, negative 3% growth. So we were really sucking it then. Yeah, but then in 12, it was like at 8. I know. Great turnaround. That's what we need to have happen. And, and the whole argument really on the event center discussion back then was that uh, our growth is so good that we'll be able to continue doing all those other things plus pick up our debt service. And so now as that growth has declined, we've lost that extra margin to pay for all that debt service and keep things as they've been going. We're not in any danger of defaulting. No, 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 not at all. But so, but there are other ways to keep our roads smooth, and it, and it doesn't mean we have to rob from the libraries and the parks to make that happen. There's a lot of other tweaks and, and adjustments into using uh, procedures, better materials in the way we do maintenance, the way that we do maintenance. All those kinds of things are approaches to make our roads smoother. I can't let you leave without asking you about mass transit because I ask everybody about right. it because I care about it. Um, you want to make the road smoother. Is the solution always smoother roads what about not having everybody drive a car and the only way to do that is to improve mass transit and i think the last time you were here you said we have to make it a smaller footprint make it a great system for a smaller place have you is that still your position because that cuts off a lot of the city and poor people don't just live in the middle right no so here first thing best way to improve traffic uh, and uh, congestion is to not build wider roads it's to improve the traffic signals so that's where my adaptive traffic signals uh, comes into play. That's the best way to move people through faster. So you don't have to build a new wider lane. You just make it uh, more adaptive to the, to the traffic that's flowing. That's our first approach. And then we you absolutely need to widen roads and add turning lanes where necessary. Transit, though. Transit, the word, Pat, that you probably really should be thinking of is reinvention. We need to reinvent the transit system. Mm-hmm. The way that it's working today is not is not good for the whole whole community. But it's going to cost money. It's Everybody thinks that the bus system should pay for itself. It's not going to pay for itself, but it's worth it, right? The, the transit system absolutely provides people opportunities to get throughout the community and get to places that they would not be able to do if it wasn't there. That's the primary purpose for it. We can't forget that, but we are hemorrhaging at the cost of maintaining that system and we can't grow can't grow it we can't add new routes because we don't have enough money we we would need to take money away from parks and roads and all those other things just to fund transit it needs to be reinvented i've put together task force last time to address it we're working on it and i hope to continue that is a very important topic in our community good stuff greg thanks for being here today and and there'll be more chance uh, april's still a long ways away yes. uh greg jameson former city councilor current state legislator and candidate for mayor and i'm not signing sign that my, barrel sign i'm not signing barrel, the barrel Pat. uh we'll be right back after this short break this is the patrick lally show on information 1000 ksoo 
4.58 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. That's the Clash, Radio Clash, which means it's the end of the show. It's also the end of the week. How about that? You've survived another week. And we've been along here with you. And we'll be back next week as well. Coming up on the show on Monday, local blogger and city hall watcher Scott Arisman will be with us. Uh, it's a pretty good we'll talk about the city council debate over the $50 million parking ramp and hotel project downtown. I would, I'd bet money on it, but I don't bet. I'm not a betting man, so there you go. Also, the common man will be in for a special Monday appearance on Weird Friends. Always good to hear from the common man. Get your week off to a good start. But for now, I take you out. Have a good weekend, everybody. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. A camper store at the Empire Mall? Hi, 